time enough at last. Submitted for your consideration to sci-fi fans, Sean Majors and Keith Conrad. Rewatch The Twilight Zone from beginning to end. It's like something out of that Twilighty show about that zone. Her name is the Arrow One. She represents four and a half years of planning, preparation and training. And a thousand years of science and mathematics. And the projected dreams and hopes of not only a nation but a world. She is the first manned aircraft into space. And this is the countdown. The last five seconds before man shot an arrow into the air. Episode 15 of the Twilight Zone was I shot an arrow into the air. And, uh, you know, at, at the risk of, uh, of, of spoiling this episode, <laughs> as, as you did last week with uh, Third from the Sun, uh, this is basically Planet of the Apes without the apes. Yes. Uh, because it's a, it focuses on a, a, a manned space flight with eight crew members, which crash lands uh, on, on something. Uh, it's not looking good for their survival. Only four of them make it, and uh, you know they're they're stranded out in the uh, in the middle of the uh, middle of the desert. Uh, one of them dies of uh, their wounds, so there's only three of them left now. So three of eight people, and uh, uh, you know they're they're stranded. They believe that it took you know I think they say four years to build the uh, spacecraft, and there wasn't a backup, so they're stranded out there. Uh, as Charlton Heston says in Planet of the Apes. All right, we're here to stay. Um, and uh, uh, it turns out that one of them is just a colossal dick. <laughs> Corey, man, my God. This shows that. Uh, so do you ever see the, uh, the, the Futurama episode where um, the, uh, the, the V-chip satellite and the defense satellite like crash into each other and then – Centuries later, comes back and it's it's trying to censor yeah. everything. Yes, and they they know that this this thing is coming, and so they think the world's about to end. And Amy Wong just immediately goes, "All right, who's up for an orgy?" It's <laughs> basically what what Corey is in this episode because the second anything goes wrong, he's like, "Well, I guess this person's gonna die." That's, well, I that was yeah, it's that was my question. Um, and it, it honestly took me until the end of the episode to really ask myself this. Do you think that Corey was always this much of an asshole and he was just like technically proficient that he worked his way up to be an astronaut? Or do you think it took being stranded on an unknown asteroid to uh, to turn him into just survival of the fittest, just the worst kind of person? Just not a team player. That was my question as well. And I think we could... We could really do with a, a prequel to I Shot an Arrow into the Air and just w- wonder what the training process was like. Because, you know, so, so again, it's 1959. I, b- I believe, you know, the, the first season was 5960. I, th- I think by the end they were actually into, into 1960. Yeah. But well, this is pretty early, so, so let's assume it was still uh, – uh, oh, no, actually, I stand corrected. I just saw it aired on January 15th of 1960. Nice. So we're actually into the into the optimistic Sp- spanning two decades. <laughs> yes, spanning two decades. 
And uh, so we're into the 60s, you know, the Mercury 7, or Mer- Mercury 7 are, are deep into training for the first actual space flight. And uh, you got to wonder, like, what was the training process like for this? You know, it, it, you'd expect that there was some sort of psychological screening for this mission. So how did Corey get through that? I, like, I, I get the feeling that, like, every test, like, there's some, like, you know, very well-trained, very, like, organized person, like, telling uh, Corey, like, what to do. And uh, and he's just like, yeah, whatever, Poindexter, and just, like, you know, flicks the person on the nose or something like that and does it his own way. And then everybody else is like, man, that guy's cool. We got to make him an astronaut. So, so you think the training process is basically revenge in the nerds Absolutely. in space? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. It, it, and, uh, you know, again, <laughs> I, I'm giving them some credit here because it's 1960. They didn't quite know what we were going to find when we sent people into space. But if, I mean, listen, I know there's all sorts of conspiracy theories about, you know, like Planet, planet X, you know, showing up and, and like, you know, crossing our orbit and all that stuff. I feel like if there was a, a asteroid or a planetoid big enough to have an atmosphere like that <laughs> in Earth's orbit, you would probably have seen it. So I... And so, so you got these astronauts that, like, immediately their explanation is, oh, well, I guess, you know, it's, it's just, it just happened. We sure got the lucky. Orbit is <laughs> Wow, this is this is this is this is lucky. We we didn't even know about this. Yeah, I, like the first thought that would pop into my head is, oh, did we crash back on Earth? Because this looks a lot like Earth. <laughs> this looks like a uh, soundstage, right? This looks like the desert right outside our soundstage. These are these are presumably uh, you know extremely intelligent, highly trained individuals, <laughs> and they don't even notice. Hey, wait, this place has an atmosphere. We didn't go very far. All right, you've, you've, There's really no atmosphere there could be other than we've made it back to Earth. I, um, <laughs> I'm going to allow the first hole being poked in one of my favorite episodes. It's, it, it's funny, though, that, like, you know, right after, um, you know, last week we talked about me not, um, not remembering the, uh, the twist of Third from the Sun um, until the very end. Right. Um, it's, you know, it, it, it's what I always remember about this episode because I, I think there's a couple episodes, maybe two or three, where it's either, like, astronauts like realize they're on earth or there's some kind of very similar twist and um you know this is two episodes in a row where the twist well we'll, we'll get there but the, <laughs> the uh, almost did it again but like i i do remember that um you know how this ends and then when uh when um uh, Donlin in, at the beginning, you know, is like, oh yes, uh, the air is completely breathable and the soil is much like Earth, and everything is. I'm like, okay, there's your first clue. Uh, soil's much like Earth. The air is breathable. I think we might be on Earth. <laughs> I see telephone lines. I mean, I, I know they're in the middle of Death Valley. Well, I mean, you know, geez, Death Valley's been photographed enough. You'd think you'd recognize Death Valley. <laughs> Oh my gosh! So it's uh, Corey, Donlin, and Pearson. Corey is the 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 malcontent. And and again, listen, I may I may make sarcastic remarks. The point of this episode is basically 
it, it, it's like it's like uh, uh, an episode we'll run into a little bit later in the series, uh, the shelter, where uh, every, everybody's having a party until it turns out that the world might end. But then they're they're bashing each other's heads. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, you know, the the point of this story isn't isn't to do a deep dive into the science of the space mission or the psychological screening of the astronauts. It's the the point of the story is you know when they're when they're put into a, a situation where. Uh, you know, their 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 lives are on the line, and presumably there aren't any consequences because nobody from Earth is going to uh, is going to ever yeah, find course. them. Uh, you know, they basically it's pretty much guaranteed somebody's going to turn into. <laughs> and the um, I forget if uh, in in the beginning when uh, you know one of the people from Mission Control you know says the you know recites the title of the uh, of the uh, show of, a, of the episode <clears throat> I shot an arrow into the air it fell to earth I knew not where there's another clue <laughs> Sean that brings up a good question so obviously the astronauts are kind of dumb <laughs> and they don't know uh, they're on earth uh, despite the fact that uh, you know a sextant could probably show you it you are on earth um uh do the people on admission control does their uh dialogue amongst themselves does it lead us to believe that they know that the astronauts are still on earth because you know like you said he does say where it landed i i i where on Earth it landed, I, I do not know. So I, mean, let's, uh, I, I guess so, but you know, you'd think that they'd be able to find them pretty if they could pinpoint on Earth. Yeah, but then again, it's a big well, place. Let, let's, uh, let's take a look and see see if they actually if we can we can figure it out just by listening to their uh, to their dialogue here. I still don't understand how we could have lost it with all the monitors we have going. If we had fifteen thousand monitors going, the situation would be the same. We've lost contact. She's off her vector path. She's off the radar screen. Gone. Completely gone. When did you first lose contact? It was less than half hour ago. There was a short period of heavy interference. Now, that was probably solar. We haven't been able to identify it yet. In any case, when it was over, the contact was broken. Couldn't a change in their course account for that? The course was preset. Now, the pilot wouldn't change it without notifying us. Bob Donlin's commanding. So an aircraft with an eight-man crew just disappears like a puff of smoke. One moment she's there, the next moment she's gone. They shot an arrow into the air that landed I know not where. Nursery rhyme for the age of space. Yeah, so... Yeah, I, I, it's it's inconclusive whether whether they knew that uh, that they had landed on Earth or not. So the title of the episode comes from the opening line of a Henry Wadsworth Longfellow poem, "The Arrow and the Song." I shot an arrow into the air; it fell to Earth. I knew not where. So, just kind of, I you know, I guess that, that one's uh, just for the fans. You really gotta you really gotta know the uh, the full line to uh, to. To figure out the twist at the very beginning. Well, I guess that um, the fact that he omits Earth 
it probably would suggest that the people in mission control did not know that they did not know yeah yeah you're and right they, you're right yeah they, and if they don't know that they landed on, specifically on earth then obviously they're not going to look for them because they don't have another ship so they can't look for them in space so if they don't know they're, on earth, they're not going to be looking for them we really should have built a backup ship yeah i i uh i, I know that uh you know geez you know, th- think about this: like uh, when the when the sh- they decided to send the shuttle to go visit Hubble one last time, uh, they actually had another shuttle sitting on the launch pad just in case something something went wrong. Like that that's backup plan, man. They are uh, here. They were just like, "Hey, we built one ship. You want to take it out and see what happens?" so back on unknown asteroid which we've been dancing around it is earth (laughs) um the uh um uh cory the the malcontent uh revenge of the nerds uh guy um he kills the the third he kills the third guy pearson for his water that's basically the main the main motivation is to have have you know make sure that you don't run out of water uh less people drinking water means you have yourself more water i think he's he tells Corey, you know there's there's five days of water for each of us if you're gone i i get 10 days so quick math for Corey. he he didn't he didn't skip out on the math section of uh astronaut training um and uh I mean, was there any when when uh, Donlin kind of uh, confronts Corey when Pearson first disappears, or you know they can't find him? Was there any doubt in your mind that Corey rubbed him out for his water? Oh no! Immediately, like as soon as you show up, I'm surprised. Uh, you know, Bob Donlin, who we've been assured is is the greatest captain ever, uh, I'm surprised he didn't immediately say, like, "Why why'd you kill him?" <laughs> Look, Corey. Really, Corey? Really, it's been like three hours. You, you killed the guy already. <laughs> um, so I think Donlin and, and Corey go out looking for Pearson. They do, and and uh, eventually they actually find him, and he's uh, he, he's sort of trying to signal something to them, uh, but it's a mystery. And uh, uh, Corey Corey decides to take the opportunity to to, to kill Donlin, and. Um, and uh, uh, no, uh, he's wandering the desert alone with uh, with uh, you know slightly more water, <laughs> and, and that's when he finds out that there are uh, there are power lines nearby, and uh, they're they're ninety seven miles from Reno. <laughs> what I what I really two things I really enjoyed in this like uh, I guess the second act of, of this episode <clears throat> when when Pearson is trying to signal to them that they are on Earth uh, he doesn't just write Earth in the dirt with what little time he has left he tries to draw power lines right yeah. <laughs> and you know, let's give him let's give him credit maybe he he was uh, maybe he didn't think it was Earth maybe he yeah, yeah that that's true that, that they had landed on Glarnak Seven <laughs> and uh, you know eleven million miles, miles, from miles away from Earth and uh, they had power lines too. <laughs> oh God, my second favorite part is when. Um, 
uh, uh, Corey is, you know, it's after he's killed Donlin and he has slightly more water and he's like, you know, trudging up uh, craggy rocks when honestly the shot is wide enough just to make you wonder why doesn't he just walk around uh, the mountain he's trying to climb. Right. Um, the... Uh, <laughs> Rod Serling comes in and starts like talking smack to him via narration. <laughs> He's just like, "Yes, Corey. Yeah, keep going. Keep going with what little water you have left." It's uh, it's actually a little similar to. Um uh, time it up at last, where he's you know there's a there's a no, another narrator yes. talking about the, how how Earth has been destroyed, and in, in that case he's kind of talking trash a little bit because you know poor uh, poor Henry Bemis he's going to die and he didn't do the things that that, that Corey did. Uh, and apparently Rod Serling just liked trash talking people when he knew they were going to die. <laughs> just a, a a cruel puppeteer Rod Serling is. Exactly, um, yeah. You know, you you referenced uh, Forbidden Planet, I think, last week, and uh, I'm looking at like notes on on Wikipedia here. Uh, it says some of the electronics in the set were recycled from the movie Forbidden Planet. Um, hey, they almost not- stole from the best on the, on the Twilight Zone. What's that? They only stole from the best on the Twilight Zone. <laughs> Darn right. Um, the large white lighted circles with the pie slices facing down appear in several scenes in Forbidden Planet, as well yeah. as the previous episode, Third from the Sun. There you go. Uh, so my question is, I, I'm pretty sure, listen, I know this is a big window, but it's either 57 or 97 miles to Reno on the, on the sign that, uh, that, that Corey sees. Yeah, 97, yeah. At 90, 97 miles. And um, my question is, okay, so what – what water he has left is probably not going to get him 97 miles. Like, if you, if you plan to trek 97 miles, you have enough water. Uh, so, so two questions. Uh, do you think that he, uh, he dies anyway, uh, knowing that he, he killed all these people and they were, they were just on Earth? Uh, or if he, if he actually does survive... What happens then? Does he does he go to jail? Um, you know, I think, and you know, that's that's really interesting. Uh, I because he kind of has like an attack of conscience. I mean, maybe it's just the shock from realizing that, like, you know, you killed two people for nothing. Um, but like, I don't know. He he kind of lives this entire episode. You get the feeling that he doesn't really. He won't care about you know killing people, but. Um, 97 miles uh i don't see how you make that at all that's from um <laughs> that's from Huntsville to Birmingham Keith <laughs> um i i don't think i could walk right. there in uh in in like a, a cool uh, spring breeze let alone uh, the hot sun of uh Nevada USA yeah that that's from uh that's from here in Chicago to Milwaukee assuming one would want him want to do that <laughs> the um <clears throat> gosh uh and yeah i think i mean oh, i think he probably gets a good defense attorney and uh he gets uh i think he probably uh pleads down to manslaughter serves serves five years and uh the real punishment i think is uh in his own brain after that well he could also but- uh you know, since there's no witnesses, he could Not also true. he could also claim that uh, you know one of the other uh, you know like Pearson came after 
you know, killed everybody else and, and he just happened to survive or something. Also, like, it's it's 1960. There's no DNA. There's no... I don't even know if they knew how to take fingerprints back then. He could just say, like, someone else killed him. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, and judging by what we know of, uh, of Mr. Corey... Uh, you know, not to be a, a negative Nelly or anything, but I, I wouldn't put it past him to just make up a story. <laughs> That's true. You know what would be great, though? Speaking of, of uh, how he's going to get back uh, 97 miles from Reno, um, maybe he should be a hitchhiker and appear in the next episode. You know, that could very well be. And uh, at the risk of, of spoiling things, uh, I hope that at some point we run into another uh, episode where people survive. <laughs> it's never going to happen. Practical joke perpetrated by Mother Nature and a combination of improbable events. Practical joke wearing the trappings of nightmare, of terror, of desperation. Small human drama played out in a desert 97 miles from Reno, Nevada. USA, continent of North America the earth and of course the twilight zone Gabatron?